welcome to episode number 15 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, When the Lights Go Out for Good, recorded on February 28th, 2019. My name's Eric, I'm the host of the show, I'm based in Southern Ontario, I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. Started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and look out for themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Hi, my name is Ian. Greetings from an alternate secure location. I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, reloader, and my farm is designated handyman. My professional background has taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and also reinforces my belief that learning never ends. I was going to say Alan was late for researching this topic, but he actually showed up uh, just in time. And I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd, and also they call me Justin, as in just in time. My medical background as a first responder helped me develop a mind for safety. Uh, these days, I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade and worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. And you totally ruined my EMP joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. I I was going to say you're short-circuiting your phone, computer, and car, and can't join us tonight, but that's okay. Here you are. (laughs) Well, we can have some protection in place. That's right. (laughs) You you hardened it against the EMP. That's good. (laughs) Yes, I'm what happens when everything goes right. Yeah, they get his equipment out of his Faraday cage. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we've got some shocking content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Next, we're going to be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since last episode. Now we're going to get into the main topic for this episode being EMP. What it is, how it may affect you, and what you can do to prepare for it. Well, I'll cover off. Uh, we were hoping to get uh, another person to join us tonight. Uh, Gavin should be here soon, but uh, he's going to want to mention the SNC Lavalin uh, thing going on with Trudeau, which basically doesn't come into preparedness too much other than the fact that governmental unrest is always a problem. So uh, I'm sure that'll be covered in another podcast another time, but uh, certainly big news there. Um, the biggest lie ever told. Yeah, I'm the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> that's right. So uh, <laughs> as far as news articles for myself, um, actually, it's, it's kind of a, a, two, a three for today. Um, actually, as the, the week went on here and I started doing show notes here, I started off with the, the big news that India started bombing Pakistan for the first time since 1971. And, you know, with two nuclear powers standing toe to toe over this basic DMZ. Uh, nobody really crossed the line for quite a few times and so uh, or quite a few years and all of a sudden now in the last week we've had basically three incidents going on have you guys uh, heard much about that so far uh, and there was a retaliation and then Pakistan shot down some planes after India bombed Pakistan and it's a, it's a bit of a mess going on there yeah so basically the second uh, round was a couple more planes went over the border and of course they got shot down when they have one pilot captured now and uh, which of course escalates things even worse now you've got prisoners um, so Air Canada you know immediately suspended flights to and from which comes into play when you know travelers are you know waiting for that black swan event when they're sitting there traveling and now all of a sudden they yes. can't get home that's a big deal right big problem and and uh, now of course it's escalating even more they've got a bunch of tanks and troops running towards the border from both sides so uh, we'll have to see how this plays out in the next couple of weeks for sure now there's there like the government has plans for when things like this happen right like there's a they have a a, a response protocol as i recall there's there's a thing that happens oh. Well, yes and no, but the problem is, is like right now you got your average insurance policy coverage doesn't come into play in active war zones, so a lot of people are reticent to go there. And right. basically, with the exception of military planes, you're not going to have much luck convincing private companies to go there if you can help it. 
right? And then the military doesn't want to get involved because then it looks like they're choosing sides. So people are kind of stuck in limbo trying to figure out how to get to a friendly country. And when you think about it, you know, the average college student that was going there on a backpacking trip in two weeks ago, even everything was fine and dandy. And all of a sudden now it's like, hey, I need to get home and I don't know how. <laughs> so uh, find, one of find, one the, find one of the other stands and hop a, hop a train, hop a plane. Yeah, exactly. I'd be heading east and uh, seeing if we can get out of Asia somehow. So. Yeah, wow, that's uh, not a good place to be right now if you're not, if you're trying to get home. Nope, not at all. And Eric, you want to cover something off as well? Yeah, so I've got a news article here from Global News in regards to a 70-car pileup. That's 7-0. That's a lot of cars. On uh, 400 south of Barrie. So that's uh, for people not uh, in the area. The the 400 is a a major highway, uh, runs north and south. And uh, that's a a lot of cars to pile up on... uh, on that stretch of highway there's a uh, quite the big snowstorm the last week and a bit in in the area a lot of whiteouts a lot of poor driving conditions and uh usually about once a year a big schmuck up like this does happen in the on that highway in that rough general area and uh just all the more reason to make sure you've got some kind of a, a kit with you because uh you're going to want some kind of preparedness uh, equipment with you if you do get uh, stuck up in that kind of situation because the, the highway was closed for quite a considerable amount of time well, I think on, uh, well, yeah, a couple it. of years ago, the uh, the whole highway got shut down. It took air pl- it took helicopters from search and rescue helicopters from Trenton, which is about five and a half hours driving away, twelve hours to get there and finally get everybody off the highway. But it was it is a long time to be out in the cold by yourself. Oh and yes, it ju- is. Not just a car kit, but even having alternate routes planned out. If you're sitting in Toronto and you know the 400 is closed, you're going to want to fa- make sure you have some alternate routes planned out, so you're not sitting there picking and choosing side roads uh, for the first time, right? That as well. Know more about that back for last episode on basic orienteering. That's right. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, when I used to live in southern Ontario, we used to refer to the 400 as the six-lane drive through the country. But I mean, it is the main thoroughfare, right? So if that shuts down, it's like you've got a lot of people looking for alternate routes, and you don't want to be like, you know, basically just squished onto the number five side road or whatever right beside it, and having to fight traffic on that one too. So. It's, yeah, it's nope. three lanes going in each direction. They're all busy a lot of time. So taking detouring those, you know, ten thousand cars off to a off to a two lane road is just asking for more trouble. Even. Oh, absolutely. Yep, absolutely for sure. And it's uh, said it's good to good to have the equipment, good to have an alternate plan, and actually practice the alternate plan, not just kind of have it in your back pocket and hope it works. Yeah, drive it, drive it once or twice. Let's uh, move into what we've done lately for our preps. Uh, so for myself, uh, I've been busy, busy working away and uh, been away from home quite a bit. But uh, I did have some time to, to clear the snow away from the generator. Uh, as I talked about in that last news article, there's been some pretty big uh, windstorms in the area. Uh, lots of snow as well. So I took some time to, to dig it out and make sure that uh, it's got some good clearance so that uh, in the event that the power was to go out, it's actually going to start and run reliably and not uh, just uh, bog itself out and stop running. Uh, I also paid attention to the news that was uh, reporting the fact that we we're going to get some pretty big windstorms coming through the area. Uh, so went out, uh, fired up a chainsaw, which uh, it thankfully still uh, started up. It's been a while since I started her and uh, cut back some branches that were getting a little bit uh, too close for my liking to the house. So I was able to cut those back and then the, the winds did uh, did pick up and 70 car pileups happened. Yeah. That, that wind was insane. Like usually, usually my coffee maker wakes me up in the morning, but the wind was so blowing so hard. I didn't even hear it that morning. It was nuts. 
Well, it's, it doesn't take much before you're approaching like you know gentle hurricane force winds for sure, and yeah. Um, yeah, 100 kilometers an hour is up there. <laughs> gentle hurricane. I'm gonna, use that, I'm gonna use that term to describe my son going forward. Well, it's, it's like a it's friendly hurricane. It's like it's like a it's like a cat one. It's like no big deal, right? right. Anyway, so for myself, uh, I'm back to work as well. So prepping takes a little bit of a backseat for now, but uh, I had just a few days at home. So during the limited time, we uh, made sure we had to keep ourselves busy. But we had some more baby chicks hatch, which is good for the uh, the meat birds and everything else. Uh, we have the ongoing process in the house right now. We're changing out some uh, bulbs from compact fluorescent to LED just to save uh, not just power bills on a regular basis for you know cost savings, but uh, for peace of mind too, because I guess when you hook up the alternate generator, you want to keep the load as, as low as you can to keep the generator more fuel efficient and not overload the generator. So uh, all the, the bulbs that will stay on when the generator is hooked up are all being changed over to LED. So it's kind of a big deal. And uh, we found a good deal. So right now you get three bucks a bulb at Costco for the 60 watt equivalents for LED. LEDs, which is pretty good. Oh, that's, that's pretty decent. But the problem is with LEDs, of course, they are uh, susceptible to EMPs, so we have to talk about that too. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good <course>. point. <laughs> Um, this week's been an absolute madhouse around here. Uh, we ended up uh, ended up taking in a, a family member's dog, uh, approximately six and a half pounds of, uh, of of fury, but he's uh, he's in, he's in a good spot and he seems to be a little bit happier now. Um, in the process of joining the lo- one of the, the local first response uh, organizations, uh, so this will be the last time you'll see me with the beard. I have to uh, have to shave it off next week. It's uh, it's a bit of a bit of a bittersweet moment, but um, that's been that's been my that's been my week. So it's been uh, it's been a Aside from the, the big windstorm, I've been everything else is kind of taking the back seat. Well, the, I mean, having a uh, biological for a uh, alarm system is always great too because they're on twenty four seven. Yep, absolutely. But, but also, I mean, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's probably the oxygen mask thing. Is I guess what you're getting at. <laughs> that's exactly what. That's exactly. Yeah. What so, so don't worry, don't worry. Sooner or later, they'll come to their senses. They'll allow you to have one. Trust me on this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so maybe we'll move into the main topic of the show. What is EMP? So an EMP is an electromagnetic pulse. It happens because of either a man-made device or a natural disaster that fries all the electronics in the affected area. Causes of EMPs or electromagnetic pulses are including uh, nuclear discharges, solar flares, or if we go back to the, uh, the the Ocean's Eleven worth mentioning that they use a pinch and shut down all of Vegas all at once. So, uh, yeah, well, of course, that was first, the, the phenomenon was first kind of like officially discovered. They'd suspected it, but they weren't for sure. Uh, they didn't know anything about until Operation Starfish, which <laughs> I, won't, I, won't, I won't even start with the jokes right now. But anyways, Starfish Prime back in 1962, it uh, had some unexpected results. They did some uh, basically orbital uh, nuclear detonations after the Soviets decided to go uh, and halt their, or sorry, put a, an end to the halting of testing. So they, they resumed testing of their nuclear weapons. So the United States decided to up the ante and they threw it out in space and blew it up. And sure enough, they did it within line of sight of Hawaii. And uh, of course it blew some lights out, uh, played with them radios and telephone systems. And uh, they tried to figure out what happened. So they ended up ex- repeating the experiment a few times and the Soviets caught on to what they were doing and they started doing it in space as well. And that was kind of the discovery of how EMP could be weaponized. So uh, for as far as EMP itself, uh, like Alan mentioned, it could be man-made or natural, uh, nuclear and non-nuclear. It doesn't have to be a nuclear explosion to cause it. But basically what it boils down to is it's, it's an intense surge of electrical energy traveling at light speed. And it's basically affecting anything within the line of sight. So the higher up you are, the further the EMP effect can happen. And uh, so that's by basically why sending into space is the most effective use size of it. So basically whatever the source is, it basically gathers up gamma radiation as a discharge 
uh, it collects up like a wave of electrons. Uh, if you think just push them all out, you know, like ripples in a pond, and it can cause over voltage uh, situation electronics. So basically, um, I attached a in the show notes a Wikipedia article for those that want to read it. And basically, it's uh, it's a really fast moving at the speed of light surge of electronic uh, energy. Yeah, so some examples of some real world pinch uh, would be like pulse power devices in, in modern day would be uh, like radar, particle accelerators and lasers. A uh, natural example, uh, solar flares. So, of course, we could get into all sorts of science talking about this as well. Uh, the, the EMP of any source is uh, basically broken into three sections, depending on how fast the energy is moving and how long the duration is. And they refer to them as E1, E2, and E3. But honestly, we would bore, I think, everybody to death if we went to see the minute details <laughs> of all that. Um, but let's just basically break it down to the fact that it's going to happen no matter which one of the three you're talking about. All of them happen faster than the third surge protector can open up and prevent damage to any electronics you might have. So if you think you're safe just because you have like a surge protector on your computer, you're very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so an EMP, how might it affect you? Uh, well, anything that's anything that's run by a computer theoretically stops working. Um, that means literally everything stops working. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing in our in our world anymore. Nothing in our infrastructure that isn't computer monitored, computer tested, computer generated, uh, or computer controlled. That includes our power generation systems. That includes our, of course, our telephones, our cars. Just, just about everything. Our podcast. I'm <laughs> I mean, what would we do if we didn't do this every week? Yeah. <laughs> we, I guess sitting there sharpening anything that wasn't electrically uh, run, driven. I guess, but my sharpening electric. I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> exactly. We could do the podcast with tin cans and, and string. Smoke oh, signals. We were talking about smoke those signals. Smoke signals. Yes. Morse code. This is why we need Morse code and semaphore. Yeah. There you go. So the uh, interestingly enough that you know as far as non-nuclear devices go, um, already already like publicly they're they're discussing what they call hamper champ, so a, a high altitude electromagnetic electromagnetic pulse or a concentrated high altitude magnetic pulse. Uh, they can be airborne, they can be uh, shot into space, or whatever. And they're already talking about these in news articles. So you know if they're talking about news articles, they probably got some even more advanced weapons that are not for public consumption yet. Um, I did throw in a little news article basically talking about Raytheon's uh, latest cruise missile based EMP uh, weapon, which is interesting in the fact that they basically can fly a cruise missile out into a target and basically zero in on certain buildings, not even just like an area, just like if you want to like zap one building and it's all of its servers inside, you can do it now. And uh, the problem is it's so cost effective because there's zero defense against it because if you, we'll talk about this later, but hardening it, if you harden a building against EMP, all that do is up the amperage and get a higher uh, voltage rating and all that hardening is useless. And so um, the more they harden a target, the, the more higher the voltage will get. And before you know it, it's basically just like a, an electronic arms race as we go here. Well, that's um, that's disconcerting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as what else can be vulnerable, I mean, uh, uh, we actually talked about this on a BlackBerry messaging group this morning too. I mean, uh, any of these cars made post-1980, uh, you know, nobody truly knows what's absolutely going to be affected. But I mean, a solid fact is that anything with a carburetor, uh, without a carburetor, uh, meaning like anything that's fuel injected, uh, is going to be a, having a problem or electronic uh, ignition control or anything else. So if, unless you have a carburetor distributor and points, that's but the only way you're going to get away without being affected. So, uh, again, I mentioned no fuel injection, starter solenoids even. Like if you have a starter solenoid to start your car, which everybody does unless they have a crank start, um, that's a problem. So, I mean, uh, 
I was looking actually at my quad when I bought my quad uh, back in the day. I thought, oh, it's great. It's carbureted. It's, it's not fuel injected and everything's uh, fantastic. But even the gear shift is uh, run by a, a microchip. Yeah, so it has a pull start and it, the problem is, but even to shift gears, it requires electronic uh, like circuit control to go from uh, drive to reverse. So even then, which I thought I was pretty good, it's, it's no good for that. But uh, so modern generators, digital radios, uh, most airplanes, like I said, my quad. Uh, back in the day in 2004, I think they tested some cars with an actual like a uh, governmental backup. They did some uh, some testing on various types of cars. This the results were sketchy. They didn't exactly give any parameters for it, but they said, well, don't worry. Only 10% of the cars should be affected by an EMP if it actually goes off. But the problem is even with 10% of the cars affected, imagine if one in 10 people didn't have a car nowadays, how would it affect the economy and the infrastructure, right? Absolutely. So I guess my, my question is how, how is the, the, how are we dealing with the effect or how are we measuring the effect? Because um, depending on which, which source you read, um, it's either going to affect absolutely everything or um, as you said earlier, it's, it's, it's line of sight. So if it's in the shade, it's theoretically unaffected, right? Because it's, the light doesn't bend, so it's exposed to the direct line. I think just like any other radiation source, so too, they can penetrate up to a certain point. Like, I'm sure if your car was buried in a rock cave, it'd be one thing. It'd be another thing if it was, like, uh, in the open, of course, right? So they talked about they talked about cars and parkades not being affected, but cars in open parking lots being affected. They've talked about all sorts of other things. But everything is just, it's all theorizing, right? You get a bunch of guys with PhDs to sit there and talking about it. And, you know, the, what do they say opinions are like, right? Like, everybody's got one. So, <laughs> guess, everyone's got one of the else things. Yeah. And I mean, but the problem is that if, even if you think about that, the down and dirty of this, I mean, all transportation needs service to run them, like you mentioned before, like trains, airplanes, even the SkyTrain here in Vancouver. It's like uh, gas pumps, cash even cash registers. I mean, um, you know, GPS satellites, if they let one off in space, any satellites that are running GPS uh, signals, if they're in line of sight, they'll be affected by the ones on the far side of the globe won't be uh but of course your own receiver on the ground would be gone if you're in line of sight but uh even if some satellites survive you'll have a lower accuracy with gps and more outages more often water pumps nuke plants it's just it never ends right that's uh it's it, it certainly paints a bleak picture but uh <laughs> sure does but is it? But is it? But it, but but again, like how 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 is this, how is this really affected? Because it, it it again, we seem to be getting contradictory information. If you're in a parking garage, if your car is in a parking garage, then you should then it should be okay. So if I park my car in the garage, it's probably not going to be affected. But my laptop sitting on my kitchen counter will be affected. I don't. I well, don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm making. The, I'm seeing the correlation. Well, it's interesting enough because they all run it off of what they call antenna links, so or like a virtual antenna. So, for example, like you know, computers with the power sources. All these, if these power like cords are hooked up to a computer, that, that acts as a giant antenna, right? So, if your right. computer is in a line of sight, uh, even with just a thin building wall. Uh, that computer cord could be acting as a tenant and magnify the effect. Whereas, like a compact fluorescent light bulb has a circuit board in it, but the circuit board is only like you know not even an inch by an inch. And so the the actual virtual antenna size of that thing is small. So would it be as affected? And um, again, it's theoretical, right? Uh, it's all but theoretical. You, yeah, but you look at stuff like power lines, which run across for miles, of course, they're, <laughs> they're giant antennas or concentrators, right? So I mean, yep. they're going to concentrate all that energy that gets sent down from space or from the local weapon that's used. I mean, they're all going to be focusing that electrical energy down the line into what these, these large transformers, and that's where we run into bigger problems, right? 
So it seems to me the larger danger is more about the is more about the power generation than it is about the actual circuit boards being affected. In terms of everyday electronics, vehicles being a different matter, but um, it, we're more it, it's more an issue of the of the the power going out than than my computer not working anymore. I just can't I just can't won't be able to charge the battery. Yeah, because like one thing that shields people from EMP. Uh, effects is grounding, right? So if if, plane, if if a thing is grounded, it's going to ground out. It's got a problem. But a car, for example, is sitting on four rubber tires. The theory not being really. is that, well, not really, but <laughs> synthetic <laughs> rubber tires. And so that basically, that uh, assuming they still got some metal in the body, not just plastic, uh, their theory was that with rubber tires and a metal body should actually be isolated enough that it wouldn't be affected. However, as we know, they're plastic bodies now, and they're not really rubber tires, and and so on. So that's where they think the effects change, right? And um, we talked about the grids there being an issue too. Is like the, you know all these lines coming into these large transformers that need like eighteen month lead times to be replaced. They're all like unique voltages and sizes and and resistance um, requirements for each site. Uh, you got foreign powers that are making these uh, large transformers for us that may may or may not want to sell them to us afterwards. There's so many uh, kinks in the armor when it comes to EMP and its effects on pretty much everything, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's certainly it would certainly take some rebuilding, and so I, I guess the is is it are we talking about Armageddon or are we talking about a long term inconvenience? Well, I think the government doesn't want to say the word Armageddon or Mad Max or anything else, but the problem is it's logistics, right? So I mean, you talk about the local transformer on your street, actually. I think I threw some links in there with the uh, the transformers blowing out in Toronto there. You get a local transformer on the street that blows out. They've got thousands of spares sitting around in North America, right? But these large transformers at the substations, they don't have spares. Maybe one or two for thousands of actual active units. Uh, it's very hard to keep spares for that stuff. Um, so the larger the unit that goes down, the less spares they have, right? Yep. And then we so, have that we we have the the power outage in two thousand three. Yeah, takes, and so you know, and that was really uh, that was only like you know I think there was like five substations that went down there, and it, it took yep. a long time to get it going. And the government Some doesn't place wanna, for five days. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to create mass panic, uh, but they don't want to say that it costs money to have these spares sitting around and costs money to have crews lying in in, in standby. <laughs> so how do you you know sell this to the public? It's not a big deal, right? Um, they had some guys actually, I didn't even put this in the show notes, but they had some guys about two years ago down in California, they were like taking rifles to a substation just to see if they could burn one out. And uh, cause all these transformers are oil cooled and so they poked right. enough holes in the transformers and leaked out the oil and sure enough, part of California was out of power for a couple of weeks. Right. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> It just to see what would happen. Just no. to see what, and they never caught the guys either. That's the worst part. So these guys were sitting there. These guys were sitting there plinking with rifles for like two hours at a substation, and nobody caught them. And hmm. I was like, hey, That's, interesting. Yeah, and that, and that, yeah. that was that was somebody just somebody just running a test, not even somebody doing anything malicious. No, exactly. That was just like a couple of either yokels or maybe some guys, you know, doing a what do you call it, a, a, a dry run, so to speak, yeah. or whatever yeah. have you. I mean. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very uh, interesting. There's there's so much theoretical. We go squirreling off into about a thousand different moments on this stuff. <laughs> I think I think we're gonna go. We have to we have to go back to our uh, uh, go back to our tinfoil hat episode if we, if we, before we get too far down this. Yeah, I mean uh, one thing. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to mention here as the show notes before I forget too, is that you were talking about things what can be affected. I mean, flashlights, you know, something as simple as flashlights. Nowadays, we're all buying LEDs, uh, and of course, they all have circuit boards in them. Like an LED is literally a light-emitting diode, and a diode can't happen without a circuit board. 
So, I mean, theoretically, if the antenna is really small, but the charge is really high, it can be affected. But, you know, the old school mag lights uh, with incandescent bulbs or the crappy dollar store ones that just have the old incandescent bulbs, they're not affected at all. So, um, But even, even mag lights are all LED. All LED. You can buy incandescent bulbs for those anymore. You can't buy the old Krypton bulbs for them anymore? Not that I've found recently, anyways. Well, I should hang on to the ones I have. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be fewer and further between. Yeah, interestingly, so I, I was reading a little bit more on the uh, EMP commission on this. Uh, I put the link down at the very bottom of the show notes. Is that uh, strategically, they figured the best time to do this would be in spring. I think it was mentioned in, mentioned in one minute after that William Forston book. But basically, yep. uh, if uh, somebody lit off an EMP, basically right in springtime in North America, just after everybody eating up all the previous year's crops, and before they got the crops on the ground here, um, you know, the worldwide food supply has only got about two months lead time on it. So if you have the breadbasket of the U.S. and, and Canada, not being able to produce food for a year uh you're talking basically like a starvation issue worldwide because we do export a lot of our wheat right as does the states so um, well and it i suppose that again that comes back to do we have the do we have the manpower or i mean if, depending on ask we either have uh, an incredible shortage of manpower in north america or we have uh an absolute abundance and can we organize that manpower quickly enough to overcome what the machines were doing well, probably you look at a place, yeah, like a place like Saskatchewan. I mean, it's a pretty small window between, like, say, if they let off an EMP to get the crops in the ground, and get people mobilized, moved into place, and working fast enough to get things planted and and harvested. Yep. Uh, you know, by the time they got any repairs done, I think they'd miss the growing season, and that's all. To take is like miss one growing season, and you're done, right? Absolutely. So. Yep. So I don't know. I don't mean to drop it on you there, Eric. But uh, did you want to talk about the next one there? Yes, yeah, so we've got uh, just listen here the uh, the Carrington event of uh, 1859. So that was um, big, uh, powerful geomagnetic or uh, geomagnetic, if I could talk tonight, uh, storm during a solar cycle. Uh, so, well, basically, what happened with that one too is the uh, I mean, it was before we really started recording and, and knowing the scientists science behind it. But basically, we had a solar flare let off back then. And even with our primitive equipment back then, it was lighting off uh, telegraph wires. It was causing uh, all sorts of issues, even with stuff that was either vacuum powered or just like straight circuitry. And so we didn't have a bunch of cars running around with microchips back then. But nope. <laughs> it, still, it still caused a lot of damage, which is interesting. Cause that's still, the, to, to date, the largest geomagnetic storm, geomagnetic storm they've ever recorded, which uh, I guess lucky for us, right? But if one does yeah. that off, I mean, because uh, it travels at the speed of light, we have uh, how much time before it hits the Earth, Eric? Like eight minutes. Yeah. So if you, <laughs> we get a, a massive <laughs> solar flare happens, by the time it happened, they, they noticed it. They talked to the superiors and they released it to the public. He'd probably just be in the newscast when it hit. <laughs> That's about yep. it. <laughs> Not a lot of time. We had another uh, news article in here too that we'll leave in the show notes. Uh, just about a congressional report uh, stated that 90% of the population would be gone in a year. Smartphones, pacemakers, insulin storage. It's all, uh, it's all not working anymore. Power plant failures. You know, I, I came in this episode thinking, you know, this really isn't such a big deal. Why on earth are we, why are we talking about this still? And the more I read about it, you guys are making me scared. I'm, 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 just, I'm honestly, I'm going to go wrap my house in tin foil. Keep <laughs> well, we, we had that already last week, but I dropped the ball on that one. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, even little things like uh, you mentioned there, Eric, the, uh, 
the power plant players, but industrial pollution, like, so, you know, a, a nuke plant goes offline and not even so much going offline power-wise. I think I mentioned this to another Eric we were talking to. And uh, the problem is, is that it's not so much the, the power failure at a nuclear plant, which requires external power to run, of course, but it's when the computer system says everything is normal, but also the computer's offline because the chips are blown. And the last thing that nuke plant that was the actual machinery was, was aware of, everything was fine. So we just kept on doing normal operations. There's nothing that regulates the cooling at that point. Nothing tells you to shut down. And it just keeps going until it melts down, basically. And uh, there's no way to no way to scram a, a nuclear plant. So right then and there, you've got intensive industrial pollution happening, and anybody downwind won't even be aware that there's a problem because there's no radios working. And um, so that that leads to bigger problems, of course, down the road too, right? Oh, absolutely. Being being downwind downstream of a, uh, of, of a of a nuclear power plant certainly uh, um, does not necessarily make me feel all that good about this. Thanks, God. <laughs> Appreciate that. You're welcome. And so, and little things like those KI pills you get for the uh, for living downrange of downrange of a nuke plant. I mean, no medicine delivery, right? I mean, for so for yeah. a lot of elderly people, that's huge, right? I mean, if you're on heart pills, you're on all we talked about before, antipsychotics, whatever have you. No more medicine delivery either, right? So that's yeah. that's going to affect a lot of well, yeah, it's absolutely true. So let's move so, into uh, what we can do in uh, in such an event. You know, certain so, things I want to look into. You know, building a community, start, for example. Building a community is fantastic. Um, nowhere, nowhere to do, nowhere to go. What to do? Um, you can protect your electronics uh, by parking your car in the garage, and uh, you can protect electronics out and about by using a Faraday cage or a box or a bag. Uh, so a Faraday cage isolates what's inside, which prevents your which prevents your tool death. So it it. Uh, um, Prevents the prevents the transmission of the electrons through the package, and it keeps it from going. Um, how long is the hazard? How long will it work? This is a, you know, these are all again theoreticals. Uh, that um, if you watch on Netflix, uh, the Doomsday Preppers, which was just so much fun to watch. There was uh, there was an episode where one of the one of the preppers was really concerned about an EMP. Uh, put um, used a garbage can with a foam block in it so nothing, so nothing was touching the sides and then touched a uh, touched a battery to it for a for a good moment or two and then um there was a big spark and a big bang and everything looked kind of cool but everything worked inside afterwards so well of course this battery is only 12 volts these emps are 250,000 volts but it means uh, you know theoretical volts anyways because it's all based on amperage and time and everything else but yep. um yeah i know a faraday cage well i mean for sure if somebody wants to research that it's something you can definitely google and uh, get a big load on that the big thing with faraday cages of course is make sure you seal the the crack between the lid of the garbage can with metal tape as or ammo box or whatever you're using for a faraday cage and don't let anything that you want to protect inside of it touch the edges so yeah. whether you use foam or cardboard or whatever to keep it off it just just make sure it doesn't touch the side so uh as i put in here fun fact uh guns are emp proof as a yes, they <laughs> are. as uh, as is ammo uh stored food livestock and gardens they're all emp proof so i mean like yes that's all the more reason to have your own little backyard garden i mean uh because it's not affected by uh some crazy guy letting off an emp overhead so um we talked about old tech backup, like the obsolete old mag lights with the old uh, Krypton bulbs. I mean, yeah. they're just incandescence with the circuit with a straight battery circuit. It uh, doesn't require any sort of uh, circuit board. Uh, we talked about EMB, EMP hardening, uh, which sounds dirty, but it's not. And basically, what it boils down to is uh, making sure that nothing gets grounded out, so it keeps uh, whatever you're trying to protect isolated. 
Uh, it's kind of like body armor uh, for nuclear weapons. But <laughs> uh, basically, the problem is with EMP hardening is if you've, uh, say, hardened a uh, Hummer to be uh, immune to EMP up to a certain voltage rating, all the person has to do is do a, a higher yield device, whether it be nuclear or non-nuclear, and the hardening is useless. It uh, basically becomes, like I said, an arms race back and forth between uh, pulse and protection. So another good thing that's not affected by EMP is books. I mean, uh, we have, I think we all have huge collections of EPUBs and PDFs, but if you have some critical ones that you can't remember everything that's in them, maybe it's uh, worth considering printing them off. Books on your books, all your all your medical books, your books on on livestock and growing things. Um, those are my first targets. Having having printed copies of those, absolutely. And uh, data backup. I mean, if you if you're a, a positive thinker, like uh, I'm sure the three of us are, if there's a chance in your mind that computers would come back into use post uh, EMP apocalypse, maybe consider using a DVD storage device like a uh, optical uh, CD or writable DVD, I guess, um, versus extra hard drives and jump drives because um, DVDs are not affected by EMP at all because they're not magnetically based. They're not uh, they're not susceptible in any way, shape, or form. But of course, writable DVDs only last about five years before they start to degrade as well. So maybe just consider rotating those every five years. But it's not a bad idea anyways for data backup. My, my laptop doesn't even have a DVD drive anymore. <laughs> oh, but if you have a, if you have a USB uh, outlet, oh, yeah, you can buy, yeah, yeah. You can buy external ones for thirty bucks, right? External one, yeah. Sure it, it just, it, but it just it, it goes to real, it goes goes to the the comment that literally everything we do is designed to be run by a computer and not a computer helping uh, uh, an analog world. Oh, absolutely. Um, I made the comment before about my quad, but of course, uh, many older dirt bikes are not affected by EMP whatsoever. Like, for example, the old uh, Honda XR125s, they're like carbureted, they've got points, distributors, they've got everything else, and there's, there's absolutely, and they're even kickstart, so there's nothing required. Uh, yeah, good old kickstart dirt bikes. So, I mean, if you're thinking about a uh, uh, EMP proof kind of uh, cheap to get bug out kind of vehicle, or just even a, like a handy little farm toy, you know, just consider it a, a straight old dirt bike. It can be four stroke as well, it doesn't have to be a two stroke, and um, so it can be relatively quiet as well. Uh, grounding and isolation for certain parts can help. Um, if you're concerned about EMP in any way, shape, or form, maybe consider uh, securing some spare critical parts. I think, uh, I since you mentioned a movie, I had to mention a movie too. So, uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise. So, he uh, had to get his vehicle working again. So, he took it down to the shop, sure enough. And uh, the guy was able to change out the ignition. I think it was the starter solenoid and something else. He said it popped right back to life. So, <laughs> whether or not it would actually work or not, but who knows, maybe it might just be a starter solenoid is all you need to get going. But uh, maybe just start to think about what you may need. Uh, you know everything from spare radios like if you're concerned you want to have a couple radios that will work after the fact yeah. maybe uh consider storing them in an ammo box that's uh isolated from the rest of the world for sure oh absolutely just make sure you leave the batteries out of us yeah yep. <laughs> so i did uh doing the little digging for the show here i actually was kind of wondering what the u.s military had uh, got set up for that and of course with their continuity government plans they've got these uh, airborne uh, night watch airplanes that are basically glorified 747s they're called e4s and air force one of course they're so totally emp hardened i mean their 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 emp rating is like through the roof um of course you and i can't really afford one of these <laughs> but, but uh, there is Alan's a few more listeners to the show yeah so uh, there is Alan's suggestion though i mean for sure like the faraday cage is a solid plan i mean and again youtube is your friend with that one uh just don't forget to seal the crack between the lid and the body um, yeah, you can use everything from garbage cans, ammo cans, but like I said, don't use a microwave. I mean, you'll see some people on YouTube talking about what a great Faraday cage a microwave is. Well, A, it's the wrong frequency. 
uh, because microwaves are different than gamma radiation. And most of them are trying to prevent radiation from going out. They don't give two squirts about what's going in. So um, microwaves are not a, a realistic thing, despite what somebody will show you with a cell phone and a microwave. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, um, it's, it, that's that's certainly uh, certainly more of a challenge now. Let's talk about like lightning rods. So uh, when we when we prepare for uh, pre- prepare for electrical storms, um, we take the we know the lightning strikes the highest point. So we put a we put a lightning rod up up nice and high, and then we ground it directly out. Would that be an effective tool? Would that be an effective antenna to gather? those electrons and reduce the impact of an EMP on the rest of my property. No, because basically what it boils down to is lightning rods are basically like it's an anode cathode thing. So basically you've got the cloud building up an electrical surge and it just so happens that a a negative uh, lead happens to be closest to that cloud and the cloud goes directly from the cloud to the the lightning rod. However, you got like basically like I said, ripples in a pond coming down from the sky. There's no actually concentrated source. So a lightning rod wouldn't do a whole lot other than to protect the immediate like surface area of that lightning rod straight down. And that's about all it would do. So I need an umbrella. Uh, we, we need some kind of umbrella to to protect from the protect rather than a, uh, a lightning rod. So you maybe skip the tinfoil hat, go for a tinfoil umbrella. I think so. You know, I, um, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking a whole Mr. Burns thing where we take this and put a big put a big thing over and block out the sun and. <laughs> So, uh, of course, I, uh, in my evil mind here, I thought of something like, uh, you know, uh, what's been happening in the Middle East a lot of times, these guys that do the suicide bombing thing is they'll, they'll have one guy let, let off a suicide bomb and basically a second guy waits around until all the ambulances show up and all the people, the, the bystanders that want to come and watch and see what's going on show up. And then the second guy goes in with a suicide bomb, lets off a second one to increase the damage and the terror factor. Um, so you think about it from an EMP perspective, if these people are stupid enough and evil enough to actually let off an EMP, um, I guess common sense would dictate that they would basically let one off, maybe wait a few weeks for everybody to like break out their Faraday caged uh, protected items, uh, vehicles, whatever, maybe, like, bring them out of the bunkers, get them into work because they need to, to save the day, and then let off a second EMP to take care of that second uh, round of stuff that's available. Not a not a an uncommon conception either, or concept. Oh, oh. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty typical when somebody's been when somebody's house has been broken. That, um, they wait three three to six months, let insurance replace everything that was lost, and then go and hit it all again because they know what's there. And it's new. That too, yeah. Yep. Um, so it's 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 not unheard of. Um, I did think of a news article. Uh, um, just to jump all the way back to the beginning now that we're coming back to the end uh, and probably pretty topical as well. So um, Trump was fo- Trump was uh, to meet uh, Kim Jong, which one is in charge right now? Un. Uh, he was, yeah. they, were, they met in Vietnam today, this week, today, yesterday, and they were going to sign a de-escalation agreement and they left without signing the de-escalation agreement and without having a scheduled lunch. And uh, sounds like everybody kind of left in a huff. So that's... Um, that's another that's another thing that has happened recently i think trump said that sometimes you just gotta walk away he's not wrong and that doesn't necessarily <laughs> bode well for him yeah that's, uh, that's, that's when people start to throw tantrums mm-hmm. well from a cost perspective i mean like you're it says millions of nuclear weapon or like a stockpile of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles and everything else to spend money on one nuclear weapon and uh and not to like get the tinfoil hat theory going again but north korea does have two satellites orbiting on a north-south uh, rotation over the earth interestingly enough and they claim that they're weather satellites most weather satellites are either geostationary or orbit east to west and interestingly enough they actually come up from 
uh, actually, I was have to correct myself. They actually come south to north over the U.S., and uh, which negates all of the U.S.'s ballistic missile protection. And uh, basically, they figure it's the, the right size and orbit and everything else to be a perfect EMP weapon over the continental U.S. because it travels right over the middle of the U.S., right near Omaha. So if they're going to light it off, all they have to do is basically flick the magic switch, and they have an EMP weapon already to go in orbit right now. This is why Trump wants a space force, and maybe that's not the yes. worst idea in the world. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's interesting because nobody knew why they did that orbit. They thought they were, the Koreans were just being morons for uh, for putting a weather satellite in a, on a south-north orbit, orbit. I think they were like evil geniuses myself. I mean, who knows, right? It's cost-effective. It is. So yep. it's it's definitely one way. To, that's one way to uh, one way to do it. But yeah, man, it's uh, you get too many too many people, too many egos, and all of a really big problem. Yep. All right podcast challenge time i think it is so for this uh this week i guess i'll read it off uh try to figure out uh, what critical systems you have that will be affected by emp Uh, name three items you have that are emp proof and three things you need to harden or have a backup of for example radios and then do it then you can email us the feedback at prepperpodcast.ca let us know uh, what you identified what you've done uh, maybe some other alternate plans that you, you have in place as well uh, for an EMP. And then uh, we can discuss it in future episodes. Well, there's a lot to cover off too. I mean, we just scratched the surface here for sure. And uh, I mean, there's certainly some more reading people can do, isn't there? Oh, there's absolutely. <laughs> Google's your friend on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> as long so. as it still works. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then uh, for some more reading. Uh, there's a, a link in the show notes for uh, the EMP Commission report, uh, a fiction book for uh, One Second After by uh, William, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last name, but I'll put it in the show notes. Forsten. <laughs> okay, Forsten. there you go. Perfect. And uh, Lights Out by Half Fast. Uh, After Armageddon is available on YouTube. There'll be a link in the show notes as well, so a little bit more you can uh, follow up on if this is something of interest for you or something that you've been thinking about or something that you've been uh, researching for some time few more things you can look into well and we didn't get any questions on the live uh, live chat that i saw there but uh, for sure if anybody has any questions about this we can certainly answer them in subsequent episodes for sure oh absolutely and we'll uh, we'll move into some shout outs so uh, i just want to take a, a quick uh, opportunity you know episode number 15 uh, just a quick shout out to uh, all the listeners out there that uh, are actually providing some feedback and uh, and participating in the show and anybody who even isn't uh, at least you're listening and uh, we appreciate it because uh, without you guys listening there'd, uh, there'd be no show so uh, much appreciated and a quick shout out to all the listeners absolutely we had a uh, alone uh uh, YouTube feedback last night, uh, last episode there. It just came in just as we were closing it off. I didn't have time to actually talk about it, but uh, Transport Canada Guru, he gave us another good topic idea. Um, but his idea came in just as we were sitting there t- fumbling over what we were actually going to do for the next show. And uh, so, but financial preparedness is a really good episode idea. So uh, that's definitely to come. But I think uh, we have something that came up beforehand as well. We'll talk about that uh, in a couple minutes. Absolutely. But yeah, financial preparedness for sure is, uh, is one we need to touch on. So we'll go into some email and iTunes reviews. So we received one email from uh, Raphael um, since the last episode. Uh, He says, hello, gentlemen. Thanks for the podcast. Super relevant content. Uh, I have one piece of feedback, two suggestions for uh, episodes, and an answer for orienteering in the Southern Hemisphere. 
so the feedback is in regards to uh, some of the audio. Uh, he's saying there's some sound distortion, possibly a bad Skype connection. Uh, he thinks that the sound quality and clarity would be uh, the number one priority in improving the podcast even more. Um, well, I guess with that, I mean, it's uh, the problem is with different internet connections. And of course, we're zapping back and forth across the country. It doesn't help either. I also have internet that comes from the sky. So it, uh, it, it can be it can be dodgy some days. Well, it all depends on the atmospheric conditions too, right? I mean, Got like, it. ionosphere and onwards can affect it. So we're, yeah, we're doing our, we're doing our best with, uh, <laughs> with the paychecks we're earning doing the podcast. <laughs> That's right. And you get what you pay for, right? You got it. Yep. <laughs> So if anybody would like to, uh, to donate into uh, upgrading anybody's internet connection on the show, we would uh, greatly accept that. <laughs> uh, and then he's got a couple of suggestions. So uh, number one, uh, I've heard the ham radio episode and couldn't avoid thinking about uh, a part two episode in which uh, one of you at least is communicating 100% over ham uh, during the entire episode, uh, simulating somebody communicating from an area affected by grid down situation. Uh, it would be amazing to put preparedness plans to work live on the show. Um, well, I guess the problem with that, as the as the YouTube coordinator here, is the problem is is that there's also a delay between what's on YouTube and what's on the live show, and then of course getting the actual sound from the ham radio to a I guess a microphone source on the YouTube would be a problem. You're basically talking about two different platforms with two different ways of transmitting information and trying to merge them. And that's way beyond my capabilities. Um, I mean, even if we did like an all ham radio over one of these computer repeaters, that would still be difficult to record because most of the times if it's just one-on-one, we can do Skype, but if it's more than two people, we have to use YouTube and that's when the problems start. So let's, let's do an entire episode where one of us does semaphore because that's totally visual and it would could, solve the audio problem i could just do yep. flags and you know <laughs> yeah. uh, so it'd be kind of cool to do uh but uh, as far as our abilities to set something up like that right now and uh the way technology works we're a little bit restricted and uh i don't think we're gonna be able to pull that off but yeah. I, I think that's, i think that's a good goal for some for some day we should we, yeah. we should we should try that at some point Maybe or or if we had at this turn would volunteer to set up the logistical setup behind it they're they're more than welcome to set it up and we would let make them the main host of the show there you go there you go yeah i've, I've been kicked i've been kicked out they can take the lead for one episode and they could just set it all up for us that'd be fantastic perfect excellent yeah so yeah. uh email a uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca <laughs> and uh you can be the host of the show <laughs> uh so he's got another uh point here i feel that most preppers believe in the lone wolf fantasy uh that their uh, prep skills guns and gear will be enough to get them through on the long run uh that may be fine for a short-term hiccup but a longer crisis just a few weeks long under stressful circumstances if you're alone or supporting a small family then your situation will deteriorate fast uh, i don't disagree with that Absolutely. No, actually, before yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you halfway through there, but it's totally true. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, firmly believe that they're going to be like shooting like Sylvester Stallone and Rambo with one handed on an M60, giving it all their best. And, and some chick dressed like a porn star is going to show up perfectly quaffed and clean in the apocalypse. And, you know, going to want to like just find you super attractive right away and everything else, despite the fact that I'm like old and fat. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, yeah, absolutely. It's not going to happen that way. It is, it is a, I think, a fantasy of beginning preppers, but the, the harsh reality is way different. The, even like a 24-hour power outage will fix that that fantasy, I think, right away more than anything else. I think that's probably the number one uh, problem with most people is finding like a mutual assistance group in their local area. It's probably the biggest hurdle all of us are facing is finding like-minded people you can get along with and I guess for a continuous basis is a huge challenge. 
Absolutely. And that's what he uh, goes on to uh, to talk about here in his email is, uh, to me, the only solution is a local mutual assistance group or a mag. Uh, mags are uh, much more important than stocking months of food and water and having gear and guns if, uh, if a serious long-term scenario was considered. Uh, the problem is, at least in Canada, mags are not even talked about. And he's not wrong there either. Uh, nope. Well, not talked about it, not organized. Like, I mean, I think even down in the States, they have actual websites dedicated. To, it's almost like Tinder for preppers, but, you know, <laughs> without, the, without the dirty business. But I'm just saying, like, right, uh, without, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. But, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's a, that is definitely the number one problem is, uh, you know, is just finding people that are actually willing to help each other out and not want to be the top dog and, you know, maybe not be willing to, uh, give up control in order to actually help each other out. Well, I think the, the biggest thing that or the biggest place where that, that mutual assistance group would be, um, would be successful is if everybody is, if everybody agreed to a committee situation where, uh, first, you know, first person to arrive at, at point X during Y starts starts this task and the next person becomes in charge of this committee the next person becomes in charge of that committee and then eventually everybody arrives and everybody breaks out into their own specialties but um understanding you know the priorities and and what everybody needs to do and that everybody gets to be in charge of their own little thing um and you run it you run it like a phalanx right you protect the person next to you and when everybody protects the person next to them we all survive and we all thrive yeah, it's just that initial start, uh, startup of finding one is, is, I guess, the biggest problem. But he's absolutely right. That's why I'm here. I, I'm I'm just planning to come visit you guys when when things go really far south. Come on over. No, <laughs> uh, so it's tr- it's true. Like I mean, uh, lone wolf fantasy isn't really a, a a fantasy by choice. I think the lone wolf is a is a sad reality in a lot of. Uh, a lot of times because i mean uh although to my to the credit of some of my neighbors too during the power outages we and everything else we always make sure everybody else is okay but that's like more of a neighborhood mag i don't think they're with their preppers per se is they're just good neighbors uh but that's always a good start of a mag in case i guess as, as well, I, ab- absolutely and I, I remember i was reading i want to say it was popular mechanics a few years ago and um there were a couple of guys talking talking about what happened when they stayed I want to say in Texas during a during a hurricane, and there were only a few, like four or five people in this neighborhood that stayed. Everybody else evacuated, and they they by default kind of banded together and they shared you know shared dinners together so that they could conserve power, and um, they just kind of went around door to door solving problems, you know, picking up furniture and raking up all the leaves and stuff. And um, well, it didn't happen by it kind of by extension of necessity. Um, so I, maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that the, 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 the common decency in people will tend to bring us together rather than tear us apart. I think the, uh, but you know, that's just the Canadian in me and not the American. <laughs> Fair enough. So he does, uh, he does mention here, do you like to see an episode uh, that covers off Megs and uh, he lists off some possible questions that we could, uh, include in the episode and uh, greatly appreciate that because that helps uh, cut down on some research time so uh, there's some good questions in here and maybe we'll put that together on mags for sure do you want to touch someone then now or just talk about a different episode uh you know what we'll uh, we'll keep it a secret all right we'll, uh, we'll put them out there uh, during the mag episode when we uh, we do record one and uh we'd certainly welcome uh, Raphael as well on the show if he wants to uh to come and even be uh, a participant in the show on the panel during that episode by, uh, by all means welcome or anybody else uh, if they want to come on and, and be a panelist on any of the episodes uh now we'll get to the uh, orienteering using the southern cross uh, this is uh 
uh, information here that he's put in his email at the very end. Uh, so it says, uh, you'll not see the Polaris if you are south of the equator, uh, but you'll easily see the Southern Cross. This is one of the most recognizable constellations and is shown on the flag of many Southern countries, such as Australia, New Zealand, Brazil. Uh, just find the Southern Cross, find its longer arm. Now imagine a lion prolonging that same arm in a straight line going down towards the horizon by four times the actual length of the arm. When you've reached about four times that uh, length, stop your imaginary line, look down at the horizon, and that's true south. Hmm. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, like I had, I had no idea how that worked at all. I just knew the Southern Cross was a thing. I had no idea how it actually worked. I mean, uh, I can count the days I've since spent south of the equator, and it's not many, so. <laughs> I, I, I can, and it's not many. Yeah. <laughs> not many. <laughs> Uh, so he, he signs off the email just saying, uh, thank you for the podcast, uh, Raphael um, from Alberta. He gives his uh, ham radio call sign, uh, but I won't read that one out uh, just because it could possibly identify him depending on the uh, the information that he's put in uh, on his call sign for uh, for records there. So we'll leave that out for now. But, uh, he is a, a ham operator. Thanks for Raphael, and I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's certainly great to to hear about it, and I think that's a great idea that we should do. Uh, we should get him on for the um, for the the mag the mag episode. I think that'd be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as iTunes reviews go, uh, still sitting at M14 Medic for the last written review from January twenty second, two thousand nineteen. Uh, and we are up to 14 ratings. We've got uh, 13 five stars, which uh, is great. And we've still got that one little guy at four stars. And uh, you know what? We'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, actually, if M14 Medic is listing and he has a Navy version of an M14 front sight, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying, I'm going to throw it out there because they're very hard to find. Throw it out there. Yeah, all right. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, with that, I'll bring episode number 15 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, uh, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us uh, help us out. Take a few minutes and submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, you can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca. Okay, sorry, Alan. I kicked you out on this stuff. I just uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't change it fast enough. <laughs> I wasn't so, going to be here, so I'm just, I'm kind of a late addition. I'm I'm mostly just here for the color commentary. All right. Okay. All right. So you can reach all, all the same stuff from the last episode still applies. There you go. So you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreatatgmail.com. Uh, re-record these shoes. Uh, these shoes. These shows on YouTube live chats. If you want an early peek at the shows, just please subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Island Retreat, and click on the notifications tab. This gives you alerts when we are going live. And I guess oh, I should add Gavin's part that since Gavin did was a no show too. Uh, yep. <laughs> you can uh, you can also find myself uh, Ian giving me my two cents worth on the uh, Canadian Patriot podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you'll find uh, Gavin and myself if he was here discussing the merits of a freer society, exposing more government waste, and squirreling off on the t- uh, tactically driven conversations. Well, please check out uh, RapidSurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat while buying some prepper gear. I have Faraday bags. Or you could also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca while you're still buying some Faraday bags. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, tune in for the next episode where we'll have a, a special guest. We have uh, Chris Gilmore who will be uh, discussing the advantage of understanding ecology and wilderness survival in prepping. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.